Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored. What up, everybody? This is Jason Lee, and this is Hollywood Unlocked Uncensored. And what up? It's your girl, April, and I'm in the building. Yo, it's DJ Damis. Let's get the show started. Before you say any word, if you're listening to the magnificent sound of my voice, go over to iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, and Spotify. Make sure you're subscribed yeah, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. And call your baby daddy, mama, sister, cousin, uncle's grandma, and tell her to listen to. That's right. I don't even know if that's a relative, but shit, it sounded good. <laughs> and it rolled off the tip of my tongue. All right, so April, what's going on? What, I, last time we were, okay, I said on the last show that every time I log on to Instagram, you're live. I logged in last night, and guess who was live? Me. April and her two children. Yes. Um, you know what, though? Last night, I was just chilling. I was with the kids, and Mega says to me, Mommy, I want to go live. I said, you want to talk to the people? He said, yeah, I want to talk to the people. <laughs> so we went on. I swear they love my son more than they love he me. He has tons of personality. He no, sounds honestly, like a grown man. No, he is. They love him more than they love me. You know, me and my daughter just be in the background like, yo, okay, let Mega have a show. He comes on to us and let's go live. So I call him and then we were on live. Together. And Mega got to counseling me on how to handle my teeth. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. What, what did he say? That uh, he needs to floss. That I need to floss more. They were all, flo- everybody was flossing. And it's <laughs> interesting because I had some salad in my tooth. So I had to go floss when I got off the call. But uh, your son has <laughs> lots of personality. Why doesn't he have his own Instagram? Um, well, he did have his, well, okay. I have my Instagram. I put his videos under mine. He doesn't need his own Instagram, but. Why can't he? Oh, cause he's too young. Yeah. But, uh, so he would have to be under my page, which he did, but then his dad had an issue. Okay. But he, he has a lot of personality. I mean, I know you have to be what, 13 yeah. to have a page. I think you have to be 13 to be on Instagram. Yeah. So did you, do you see, I, I could see him being an actor. Mega is going to be the most. He's going to be an actor. I feel like he's, he definitely is following suit after his father doing the dance moves. People are like, yeah, Mega dances better than Omari. So I'm like, and your daughter's personality, is she was she just over it? No, she's... She was like in the... She was like putting on makeup or something? Yeah, she don't be paying attention to her brother. She'd be like, I'm over here. I'm over here trying to be cute. She was in the back with her little drawers on, going into my little makeup, putting a little eyeshadow, lip That's gloss. funny. She always get caught, you know, yeah, going to your so, makeup. So yeah. when you see your kids growing up, do you guys think like... In a minute, they're not going to like me anymore. Yeah. My son doesn't like me now. Really? No. Because I got rules and stuff. And I'm like, he looks at me like, yo, like you, you hold me back from what I want to do. My but but between like, you and your, you and his mother, who does he like the most? Whoever he's not with. So when he's with his mom, <laughs> he likes me. And then when he's with me, I want mommy. He's like, he's a manipulator. But yeah. you know, it's sad to think, I, I think about parents. I see some, some, like my friend AJ, he's one of my close friends. Him and his mother have a really good relationship. Mm-hmm. And then I think of like me or maybe some other people, you grow up and then you just leave. And it's almost like a bird that leaves the nest. You never come back. Like you just <laughs> like I have no desire to be at my dad's house at all. And I don't even talk to him. OK, see, I was going to say at least you talk to him. But then you just said you don't no, talk, I don't to, talk him. to him. But no, I, mean, I think that I'm going to have a very close relationship with my yeah. kids. They love the mess out of me. Um, so but I, I do believe that there's going to be a time when they're going to want to soar and do their own thing. And then they're going to come back. But yeah, my kids love their mother. When when should a parent let go? Like when should a parent let go and let their kids just go do whatever they got to do? Teens. Around seventeen is yeah, like when you strongly like gotta like sixteen. Prepare I'd yourself. Say start sixteen. It starts sixteen, start but 16. seventeen is where it's like let it go. So like when you're packing their lunch at sixteen, are you sliding condoms in their lunch pail? Yeah. Oh, I'm not packing a no motherfucking lunch at sixteen. That's not what I'm doing. But if, but if they do, because I'm gonna be talking about sex when my son is like eleven, twelve. I'm not playing the games because men be lo- losing their little virginity early. He Don't is call having virginity little. He is having sex in my house. You hear me? In my house. I'm giving him no condoms and I'm telling him mommy will leave. I'm not about to play them games. I'm about to be that mom. You're going Ooh, I feel the, the fans commenting right now. You're going to let your son t- have sex in your house? Why not? I'd rather him than go and be at someone else's house and get caught and then they calling me talking about why is your son fucking my daughter? Or getting shot. <laughs> 
No, I'm gonna it's be that parent. That I'm gonna be that parent that's understanding. Yes, my son can have sex in my house. At what age? Um, you know, when he's honest with me about when he when he's trying to do it. I'm but just not. He's still I'm not, gotta be a little older, like 16, 17. Okay, he can't, that's fine. Sixteen. He can't be thirteen having sex in your house. No, he, nah, 13, I was fourteen. He first and foremost, oh. I said no. Listen, you. No, I was saying. I said I know, at I'm eleven, saying. I'm gonna have the sex conversations leading up. He should not be having sex. Anyway, but yes, I was, about 16, 17. I was 14 in these motherfucking streets. I was out here. I was out here. But you also can't control, Ooh. you know, a little human. He's going to be who he's going to be, and I just have to be a supportive mother, and that's just no. what I want to do. See, yeah, it works for your kid, but then the other kid that's in there, the parents going to be like, so you just letting them come in here, and you like that. that's where it's going to get I crazy. I mean, it gets sticky listen. right there. With the well, speaking <laughs> of sticky, true, speaking I've of, I'd rather know what my son is doing than not know. Speaking of getting sure. sticky, what is going on with Robert Kelly? Are we paying attention over there? Robert. Uh, okay, let's move along. No, honestly, we're not. <laughs> So your son, would you let your son have sex in your house? Yeah, but like I said, like it's the daughter. It's the, like you can't like I'll be okay with it because I know what my son is doing, and I don't want him out there in some little girl's house and the dad right. walks in and he gets attacked. But at the same time, you're responsible for the other child too. So it's I know. it's a it's sticky, sticky situation. So I'm not. Can gonna, we please stop talking? <laughs> listen, listen. It we, is very listen. sticky. I'm we not going to knowingly wait, let them do it. Let's stop let's using the word sticky for today's show, for this part of the conversation. Because I don't want to think about sticky right now. <laughs> what, what is sticky? <laughs> what would be sticky? Ew. <laughs> I think we're going to have to throw the whole damn segment away. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's so, do that so, so what else is going on, Damage? What's going on with you? Night, man. Back in the gym, feeling good. The weather's back. Um, you know, hopefully I'll get in the gym with April. Get yeah, my, get my body by April. We were just walking up a fucking hill. I'm gonna be honest with you. She was out of breath. I was tired. I went to Runyon Canyon and like a quarter of the way up, I was like, "Why we do hills for for pictures? Like you're supposed to walk up here to take a picture. I've already gotten the picture. I'm ready to go." But this motherfucker, uh, shout out to Zoe who was with me, kept literally physically pushing me. I had to stop and say because we we're filming for this new show, Get Fit or Die Trying, and I had mm. to turn around and say to him. Bruh, like I really don't do the pushing thing. Like you pushing me and you yelling, nah. But yeah, yeah but that's gonna, that's gonna be what it takes to get yeah. you to that no, to for that sure. goal. I get it, you know, I get it, but damn, <laughs> he's over it. Like, yeah, no. I'm over it. And honestly, I've gained nine pounds. I'm pretty. Woo. Well, later on today we have Devon Franklin on the show, so we can't wait to talk to him about commitment because he was celibate for I don't know forever while he was dating Megan Good. Yeah, and didn't give up the D until they got married. And so I need to know what type of commitment he has because I need a little bit of that. Me too. Mm. And you know what? He's an amazing um, speaker. Literally, I've gone to see him with uh, Robbie Reed and um, Holly Carter. at the, I don't remember the name of the church, but when I tell you he be feeding the spirit, yeah, he be feeding that spirit. That yeah, articulate. I, I don't know if he's a preacher or pastor either, but we're going to ask him. And yeah. I, I do think he is definitely anointed. And what I love about Devon True. is that he really is supportive of other people and their endeavors. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, there was a time where I went to him for counsel and he was available to me and he, you know, took the time to really explain stuff to me. So I can't wait to talk to him. Yeah. All right. This is officially the only interview that I will not use profanity because I'm still trying to get into the <laughs> gates of heaven. We have Devon Franklin. Woo! <laughs> I feel like Come yes. on, man. Come on, Jay. Do you. No, it's all good. No, it's not. You know, this, th there's a very few people in L.A. that I actually trust with my soul. You actually are very anointed. Are you? Because we were trying to figure out, are you a pastor, preacher? Just anointed. What I'm definitely not a, a pastor. You know, my younger brother is a pastor. He has okay. a church um, and that's his profession. He has a congregation that he's responsible to. And I think that's a really important delineation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my uncle would call me a bootleg preacher. 
uh, where I just kind of go everywhere, you know. I mean, April, you've been to the Bible study, I you know, have, but I just amazing. teach it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, but I'm not a pastor. I want to be clear about it. So, would that. it be a teacher? I mean, you, you could say minister, you know, minister mm. still kind of encompasses the, uh, the preaching aspect. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a title of pastor is like taking on the title of a doctor, mm. you know, where you really, that should be your calling and your, your passion. And I love to preach. Um, but God has not yet called me to pastor, which would mean being responsible for a local congregation. Mm. Right. Okay, so in L.A., have you been to Warren Campbell and Erica Campbell's church yet? You know what? I went when it was a Bible study. Okay. But I have not actually been since it's a church. That That's church, my church. That church had me in there crying. I don't I know love. if it was repenting or hoping. <laughs> wow. or, no, I mean. You they, be sinning, Jason. Well, listen. We don't, we, this is all about Devon today. No, but uh, it was one yeah. of those churches where it's non-conventional. It's in a sure. school uh, uh Gymnasium, on, gymnasium, yeah, North Hollywood, yeah. You know, people come as they are, yeah. Um, but this, you can feel the spirit of God in that mm-hmm. place. Amen. Amen. It's yeah. a really good place. I yeah, Warren and, and uh, Erica are close friends, and uh, you know, amazing. So I, I can't wait to go. So when you were, because I read your book, Produced by Faith, it was one of the. First, I don't read many books. It's just so much going on with the internet. I'd be on social media all day, but I did read Produced by Faith and understood your journey. And when I look at like all the hard work you put in from interning and moving around through Overbook and then with Tracy. Um, what is, what has gotten, what is what, up with today's young people? Because they don't put in the work like that anymore. Man, I just feel like, I know where does, where do we lose that? You know, um, I think we kind of lost it. Um, I don't think it's any fault this generation. Um, but I think sometimes the, that the parenting of the, this younger generation, you know, of kind of doing more for them, uh, coddling them a little bit more. Mm-hmm keeping them, you know, closer instead of allowing them to go out and experience life. And there's a lot of research that's been done, you know, with this younger generation relative to that. I think that is kind of what has uh, had the impact where, you know, a lot of times this younger millennial generation thinks, oh, well, you know, there's an entitlement, there's a desire to kind of want without putting in the work. And, um, you know, listen, I I still have millennials on my staff and, and I've, but some of them I've had to let go because it just doesn't work. And I'm like, listen, I've been in this business over 20 years. I can instruct you on how to do this, but uh, you know if you don't put in the time and the work and the sacrifice, you're just not going to get the result. Right. And so often, when you want the result, it's like people want to uh, carry people want the crown before they carry one. Well, it's like me; I want the abs, but I don't want to do Runyon Canyon. <laughs> it ain't going to work. I got to go up the canyon. It ain't going. You got to You got to go up the canyon. You got to do a lot of things to get the abs. But, and uh, I think sure. professionally, um, success is available to anyone if they just serve. And a lot of times when the younger generation, what I find is that they, they want service with conditions. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was coming up, it was like, yo, I was just, I was, first of all, I was afraid that if I made a mistake, I would never be in the industry again. Oh, wow. So my right, own desire yeah. to be in the industry is really what motivated so much of my service. But I also value the people that I was serving from Will Smith, to Benny Medina, to James Lasseter, um, and so on and so forth. And today I still have those relationships over 20 years later, mm. because that as an 18 year old kid, when I first met them, I realized that I have to make their life easier. I have to show them that I'm invaluable to their life so that as a result, they'll give me what I want, which is opportunity. And that combination of service and opportunity is really what has propelled my whole career. Mm. Now, I was going to uh, agree with you about the coddling because, you know, we're all parents. And right. I think the, the hardships we've been through, because, yeah, we worked hard, but the hardships we went to, we don't want our kids to go through that. And I think indirectly, we're kind of like, Mm-hmm. you know, pacifying a lot of things that we shouldn't because it's like, you know, of course we worked hard and we mm-hmm. earned it, but there's a lot of things along that journey that we weren't cool with. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things. It's like, you know what? We're pacifying and pacifying. And I think, like you said, it's the parents kind of, you know, somewhat causing this generation to feel like that. 
Yeah, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, I'll see it in my my brothers and how they parent. I'm like, y'all, listen, you know, when mom raised us, if we did that. <laughs> yeah, but it's scarier times, though, too. So it's like, you know, yeah. you, it's like natural to kind of, for me as a mom, it's natural to kind of feel more like I got to coddle my babies because it's just crazy stuff going on. You know, you feel mm-hmm. like you have to protect them. But at the same time, I, I understand what you were saying, too. Yeah. You got to let them experience yeah. life to a degree. So was your father not in your life? Uh, he passed away when I was uh, nine years old. So, okay, so for those who, because many people will think, you know, a lot of young black men or you just young men in general don't grow up to be the fullest potential of a man that they sh- could or should be because their father was either absent, left, or maybe in some cases um, passed away. How did you turn out so normal, so good? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, part of it um, has just come because just because you don't see it doesn't mean you can't become it. And, um, and even though I didn't have my father, you know, I did have my mother, my grandmother, my grandmother, seven sisters, uh, which really, you know, put their arms around me and my older brother and younger brother. Uh, my uncle, who was a pastor of the church that I grew up in, in, in East Oakland, you know, he was a really a big part of our lives. East Oakland is rough. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, it was rough, but you know what? I mean, we went to church there and never, I mean, it was just church. It was no big deal. It was the community. It's just what it was. Um, and so I think the village you know, the idea that it does take a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. I think because we had such a strong village, it really helped make the difference because fatherlessness and the impact of that is a real thing. And uh, any of us who don't have a father have to work against the challenges that mm-hmm. do come into our life because of that. And I think that village helped really help me and my brothers not become a statistic. So, okay. So I know when I, you know, I've known Megan for a long time and I know when she uh, got hooked up with you and the whole celibate thing happened, I just didn't, I couldn't understand it. Like, how does one stay celibate? First of all, you're good looking. You're successful. You out. You out here. And you out here. You out here. You out here. I mean, you know, because this is a very different place than say Oakland or Stockton, where I came from, or Philly, mm-hmm. or even Chicago, where right. you know relationships are either put together or people just are looking for a come up or something. How did how do you how did you become such a solid person when it came to that? Was it being raised by women and having those respect uh-huh. that respect for women, or was that just a personal thing? You know, I think a lot of it had to do with just being a middle child. You know, as middle children, we're always looking for our place. And also, you know, whether we like it a lot or not, most middle children are trying to prove something. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the older one, oh, you're, you're the oldest and, you know, you get all the favor and all that. And then the young then one, the oh, baby. you're the baby, you know, and the middle baby. children. See, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> By exactly. the way, we don't like you. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, you love me, whatever. <laughs> um, and so I think being a middle child just kind of produced that idea of like, I've got to make something of myself. I've got to, you know, find my place in the mm. world. And uh, to some degree, that has helped, but sometimes I've also had to manage that mm-hmm. because sometimes, you know, when you let that drive mm-hmm. or when I've let that drive me, that sometimes drive my ambition in the wrong direction for the wrong reasons. So I think a lot of it just came from having a desire to prove something. And then also, you know, being raised in the church, you know, I was really one of those that, you know, I just, what they, what I was taught, I believed, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, no, I'm okay. I'm living for God. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm living for Christ. This is for, it's real. It wasn't mm-hmm. just, oh, I'm going to church because they, they're making me. It was like, no, I believe. So when I got to, to the industry, I mean, even that first internship, you know, I was very clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I observed the Sabbath. So if you want me to take this internship, I can't work on the yeah, Sabbath. I thought that was pretty courageous. Like, how do you, was that just, that no, was faith? It was, but it was, it was, it wasn't even faith. It was just like, this is who I am. And here are my conditions. Here's what I will do. Here's what I won't do. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't, I didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it wasn't even calculated. Mm-hmm. It was like, Hey, this is, this is my commitment. 
And if you guys can honor that, great. If not, that just lets me know this is not the right place for me. So I'm looking at damage because we had a <laughs> we had a caller call in who, uh, well, I said it was going to stay positive. Well, it is positive. We had callers call in, and the caller was basically saying that he. Um, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Wait, what did the caller say? Why am I uncomfortable saying this? But basically, the, the caller was having issues with his relationship because his wife wouldn't ha- uh, hit him off with the dildo anymore, and so he felt some sort sort of way. So I felt like, well, this could be uh, definitely a learning experience for our audience. <laughs> so I invited him in. Oh, you invited him into the studio, and I told my staff have him bring his toys and surgical mask and gloves. And Damage was like, absolutely not. Like you're going too far. <laughs> D- D- Damage is like, yo, okay, you gonna do that interview by yourself? So. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. I'm going to sit it out. And I'm, telling, it out. and I'm telling you right now, I have never felt somebody be validated more in my presence <laughs> than just right now. That's right. You got you know, and I think that's a fear whenever you're navigating a career, even if it's in the industry or not. Uh, compromise. Mm-hmm. Can I, you know, hold on to what I believe and still be successful? And I think the damage that we do to ourselves is when we don't think that's possible. Mm-hmm. So what happens? We make compromises. Mm-hmm. We know when we've compromised when we haven't. And so the more compromises we make to get whatever success that we think we're going for, sometimes it comes at the expense of our peace because when we compromise, it literally chisels away at our peace, at our core. So then we actually have no anchor. So the more successful we become, when we compromise so much, we don't even know where the shore is anymore. I want to promote this show and hide it at the same time. <laughs> Be no, because, because I think there are times where <laughs> you compromise over time and you don't even know you're compromising. Yeah. I mean, I was in a relationship that lasted three years where I think the entire relationship was compromising. Like yeah. every time I turned around, I was like, going to compromise for that. And then they compromise. So when does one... When does one learn the lesson of compromise not always being a benefit in a relationship? Mm-hmm. Because you do have to have some balance to that. Sure, sure. I think, it, you know, I think the big, the thing for all of us, it goes back to peace. Mm-hmm. Do It's like, yes, you know, so Megan and I are married. We've been married for seven years. We work through a series of compromises like, okay, you know, she wants to go see this movie. I want to go see that movie. Okay, we compromise. Great. My peace is still intact. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. This is but, where. But that's a little different than I want to have sex. You don't want to have sex because okay. we do live in a drive by um, a test drive society mm-hmm. where some people are like I need to test that before mm-hmm. I purchase it. Mm-hmm. So how do you compro- <laughs> how do you, how do you get somebody to compromise on that? Well, see, here's the thing. You have to really first of all identify. You know, like in the case of Megan and I, we both are already on the same page. But let's say you're with somebody who's not on that same page. You first have to identify, like, okay, what do you want from your life, and what do you want from this relationship? And I think the thing that's so important is to not always think selfishly. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants to preserve their body and their heart and their wholeness, that's a sign of a good person, Mm -hmm. not the opposite. So no matter how badly, you know, especially in a sexual situation, you may want it. If somebody's saying, I'm not ready to give that to you, as frustrating as it may be for your flesh, I think that's something you say, you know, okay, you know what? I respect that. I respect it because I'm not because then what happens? When we don't respect it, then our own flesh is driving the decision. Because love says, I may want that, but I'm going to respect you. The, the lust in us says, listen, you're going to have to get off of that because I want it. So that to me is where that compromise for that person that really wants to preserve their, their integrity, their heart, their wholeness, but they don't want to lose the person. Mm-hmm. That's when their peace starts yeah. to be affected because they're like, man, I didn't want to do it. I did it because I didn't want to leave them or them to leave. 
And that person then, you, I feel like sometimes you don't ever get the fullness of who that person is because they know that they, they're doing something they don't really want to do, but they don't want to be without you. So, you know, fine, if this is what I got to do, I'll do it, but I'm not really doing it with my whole heart. Right. Now I know why Oprah likes you because I know the first time we talked to Oprah, she was like, damn, we need him around all the time. Now, I do have a question, though, because I feel like us as men, we lead in looking for a mate with our lust, right? So what is those what are so so things out there for people that is finding a hard time without leading with their lust to find a good partner? Wait, wait. First, let's go ahead and just put the book up right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's that's get all oh, the truth, the about, truth men. about men. That's I feel it. like when we're looking for yeah, a girl, good like segue. we're looking at the body, the looks, like. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's always going in the wrong direction. So how sure. can what's you know tips to not lead with lust? Yeah, you know, um, that's why I wrote this new book, uh, my new book, The Truth About Men, What Men and Women Need to Know, Mm -hmm. because it's all about this. It's all about us as men that our greatest struggle is love, Mm -hmm. you know, because most of us don't really love ourselves. So it starts with loving ourselves. And then when we learn how to love, then we can give love and receive love. And one of the things that stops us, I believe, or challenges loving us consistently is lust. And so I define lust as a selfish impulse for personal, professional, financial, or sexual fulfillment by any means necessary, even if those means are detrimental. Lust is selfish. Love is selfless. Uh, Lust wants what it wants, whenever it wants it, however it wants it. Uh, Love says, I'm going to put somebody else's needs first. Love is more sacrificial. So as men, we're basically raised in a culture that is designed to cultivate our lust. Mm-hmm. And t- basically rewards us, feed the lust. The more, the better. The more women, the better. The more sex, the better. The more money, the more better. The more mm-hmm. power, the better. So as men, Jeez. are the love in us is malnourished. What'd you say, Jay? He's she- malnourished. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we trying, we trying to feed the love in you, Jay. He's I know it's there because I know like, you. Sh- Give him some love. I, I know feel, you. I, oh, feel, I feel pure judgment in this room. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love, baby. Nothing but love. So, so to answer your question, you know, every man wars between love and lust, mm-hmm. and 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 that war is like every day, and sometimes multiple <sighs> moments a day. And so, as a man, we got to look in the mirror and make a decision of what type of man do we want to be. A man that inflicts pain or a man that heals pain. Mm. And I believe that when we feed that lust and we let that lust run and ruin our lives, we find ourselves as a man that inflicts pain. Why? Because, especially in a dating sense, a woman no longer becomes a woman. She's an object. Mm. An object of what? My pleasure. <laughs> and, and if that woman, when I'm leading with lust, does not go along with my program, I dis- discard her. Yeah. And I'll find somebody who does. So as a man, what we got to do is say, okay, um, I don't want to be that kind of man anymore. When I do an assessment of all the hearts that I have gone through Damn. and all the pain that I've caused, I don't there. want to be that man anymore. So, okay, so how do I not be that man? I have to recognize the war. Mm-hmm. I can't be in denial that no matter how good of a man I want to be, I got love and lust. Yeah. And I have to make a decision on getting discipline, getting self-control, and beginning to put love in, in place of lust. And that's why I wrote The Truth About Men is to give steps and tools and tips on how to do that mm. so that we can become the men we were called to be. Because I believe if we never really operate in love, we can never operate in our full potential. So was there ever a time, because you just said a lot. And first of all, I'm just thinking, now that I think about it, so if we define going through hearts, I ain't even thought about a person as a heart. I mean, maybe two. <laughs> maybe two. <laughs> two out of, I mean... You know how they said you got bodies on you? you yeah. You're not, you don't got hearts on you. Yeah. So has there ever been a time in your life where you've been promiscuous, where you've just ran through a whole slew of people, women, and then 
arrived at where you are yeah. now. Not promiscuous in that way. And I talk about uh, that in The Weight, and I also talk about it in The Truth About Men. You know, I was raised in the church, and, you know, they were taught, they told us to wait. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to wait. And then like, once I got uh, to become a senior in high school, I didn't wait. And I didn't wait pretty much through my whole college uh, life. And then when I got out of college, uh, you know, I just had no peace about it. So I just was in a relationship mm-hmm. and I said, God, you know, if you get me out of this relationship, I'm going to start waiting. And so that was in my uh, early 20s when I got out of that relationship, started waiting. However, it didn't make me a great dater. Why? And I talk about this in the book, because even though I was waiting, I still had sometimes a lustful mentality as it related to dating. Mm. So that meant there were multiple women that I would date. And I talk about this in the book that when we operate in lust, it makes us a part time manipulator. Because yeah. we keep these women, yeah. you know, in the dark, in a gray area about our <laughs> intentions. Yeah. And for me, it was like, yeah, I, I would. And also we buy into this idea as men that the more women, the better. And we try to find our validation in that. Mm-hmm. And so as I was doing that, even though I was waiting, I was still doing that. And I, at first I wasn't thinking of them as hearts. I was just thinking of them as like, oh, yo, this is just who I want to hang out with now. And when I'm done with that, I'll move on. It wasn't until I had this vision. And this vision was I was at my wedding. And the minister, before I said I do, the minister said, turn around. And down the aisle uh, were all the women that I dated. But the issue was they were all cut open. They were all slain. And it was if God said, do you think all of them is worth this moment? And he basically said, don't play with my daughters. These are my daughters. And so that vision was so strong, I began to come out of it and say, wait, I got to be more intentional because I'm only looking at this woman for my own pleasure. Mm -hmm. So what that meant was it required what I talk about in the book is it required a practice of mastery. What is that? It means even if she wants me and I know she's not right for me, I don't just engage because I can. I say, you know what? I don't don't mean any good to you. And so if I engage, so that's the process that I went through and really had to get clear on that and be more honest. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this in the book, you know, as men, we got to be honest with our intention. If we're not serious, don't date them. So let them know. How do you drown out the noise or people who ridicule uh, people who decide to stay celibate? I mean, if I turned around tomorrow, well, I'm gay, so that won't work. If a straight guy turned out tomorrow and said, I'm just celibate, like you my could. friend. Oh, wait. No, but I'm just saying. He said, oh, wait. <laughs> right. my, my, no, wait. Hold on. So, so I have a friend. Actually, I'm, I'm a lot better. There's a lot less hearts broken now. Yeah. And a lot less, because I'm I'm getting to a point now where it's, it's all about, like, my whole world. What does yeah. my whole world look like? Stop the alcohol. Starting the fitness. Looking at being happy. Cutting off people who... I know this leads to a dead end. This relationship yeah. leads to a dead end. This this relationship is elevate me, but I I got that lesson later. So yeah. I'm I'm getting it though, but and I'm happy in that. But for people who like, I have a friend named Namdi. He's a very positive, very good looking African guy, um, straight, and he's celibate, and he's very clear about cel- being mm-hmm. celibate and embracing celibacy and promoting celibacy. I know Namdi, and he dates. So you know him, great mm-hmm. guy, great guy. One day I was with him, I said, are you gay? Because I just want to know. Like, who, who are you waiting? Are you waiting for me? Are you waiting for Tim? Who are you waiting for? And he had to school me. Right. And he had to school me on how, you know, he's very confident in who he is. How does one st- who's straight have the confidence and drown out all the noise of people ridiculing them for saying they're gay or whatever? That's the reason why they're celibate. You know what? It, it all, every, every person has to make the decision in life where they want to go. Mm. And for me, I always looked at, uh, at the end of my life, if there was potential that I never achieved, 
because I could never get discipline in the area of sex, would it have been worth it? Would all the bedrooms, all the back seats have been worth it if I exchanged some of my destiny and my purpose for that? And for me personally, I was like, no, I want the fullness of my creation. I want to be everything that I was called to be. And as a result, I've got to put myself through the difficult process of getting discipline in this area. Why? Because with, there's no discipline and there's no self-control. If we are just driven by our urges, we are going to become destructive mm -hmm. to our life and any life we come in contact with. Mm. So, so how do we drown out the noise? By deciding where you want to be. <clears throat> and going back to that barometer of peace. Do you have mm -hmm. peace over this? I think a lot of times uh, we don't really have peace over what we do, but we drown it out. You know, we drink it out, we sound it out, we have people around us that tell us the opposite of what we know is right. Mm -hmm. I think every person has to look in the mirror and say, who do I want to be? And am I doing the things in life that are going to get me there or am I doing things in life that are going to take me away? Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, brothers like Namdi who are making that decision, they're saying there's something I want out of life. I want to mm -hmm. practice mastery. I want to become something different. I want to break a cycle potentially in my family. And as a result, I will take and endure the ridicule. I'll endure the comments. Whenever you do something against the culture, yeah. people are always going to come true. against it. And it's like, okay, cool. Right. That actually is evidence that what you're doing is right. That's true. Not so wrong. was Megan also in that headspace when yes. she felt the exact yeah. same? Yeah, wow. yeah, she did, which, which was great, which yeah. was really, really great that we both, you know, when we started dating, were definitely in the same headspace. That's dope. Okay, so I have a question. So recently, recently we broke the story about Tristan Thompson and Jordan Woods and this whole <laughs> craziness of mm -hmm. just uh, the, the uh, cheating or whatever. Um, how much is this book? <laughs> this book right here is free, but it, but it, you know the, the, the price is probably what twenty dollars. <laughs> okay, so you know? we gonna we gonna get this book to good old Tristan. What what do you make of that? Like some people are saying, like I'm getting criticized online that I shouldn't be so hardline um, in support of Chloe because uh, against Jordan because she's a woman and and Tristan's obligation was to his baby mom, not Jordan to her. But I feel like with this, it's a little different. This isn't just the other woman. This is her sister's best friend. Yeah. What do you make of all of that? You know, I don't know all the particulars, but what I do address in the book is this idea of, you know, why do men cheat? And I, I deal with this idea, can men be faithful? Can we, um, what, what is the answer to that? Because I've said that I believe all men cheat. I've well, said it. Well, here's 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 the thing. When I was, uh, you know, even though my father died when I was nine years old, uh, when in my teenage years, uh, you know, I, I found I had this discovery where I found this picture, and the picture was of my mother, another woman in our family, and our father. And my mother was looking really, really distraught. And I began to ask the question, "What's what's going on?" Because this picture is telling a story that no one wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. Finally, I got to a family member that told me the truth that my father had an affair. And my mother had found out about it. And so that picture is why she was looking the way she was looking. Mm. And so I, as a teenager, I began to ask the question, well, can, can men be faithful? You know, do, do all men cheat? And the women in my family would say, well, yeah, no, all men cheat. 99% of all men cheat. And it blew me away. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so what I began to say was like, well, how do we, well, how can we, can, first of all, can we be faithful? And if we can be faithful, how do we become faithful? But what's the answer to that question? The answer is no, not all men cheat. Mm -hmm. um, however, I believe one of the reasons why so many men cheat to the degree where it can be said all men cheat mm -hmm. is because of what I tackle in the book, this struggle between love and lust. Uh, as men, when we feed that lust, we become what it makes us. And, and when we as men do that, we become something unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. And especially going back to discipline. If you talk about a dating sense, if you have no discipline in dating, when you say I do or you make the decision to commit, mm -hmm. It's not a magic spell. It's not a magic wand. If you have no discipline, you don't magically all of a sudden get the power of commitment. Yeah. If you've never seen it in life, if you have no appetite for commitment and then you try to do it, 
if you don't have the right support and you aren't doing the work in yourself for even the most, um, for even the man that's the most willing, if he's not doing his work, it may be hard. Mm-hmm. It's not like when you all of a sudden get with one person, you're just, hey, I got it. So do you still have the lust for other women? Absolutely. You talk about it in the book. Absolutely. And, and, how, but how do you, and you control it because of your discipline. Part of it is controlling because of discipline, but also being honest. You know, so in the book I talk about we have to accept this thing. So I don't write this book from a standpoint of I've mastered this. Yeah. I'm working on it every day. So all of us, all of mm. us have this war between love and lust. And so I talk I know about I I, the, the, the battle is so, not yours. It's the Lord. There you, go, there you go. You know, but it's us and the Lord because we got to help fight, too. Um, but I talk about in the book that when I got married, you know, I thought, oh, man, you know, lust goes away. And then when it didn't, I was like, what? How is right. this possible? And so what happened at first, I was judging myself. I was upset. But then once I began to say, OK, it's here. What am I going to do about it? That's when I began to get the power of it. Because so often we have an urge and too often we practice acting on the urge. Whenever we act on an urge, we become impulsive. Whenever we're impulsive, we usually make detrimental and destructive decisions. So if you, you know, it's like if I'm, if I say, hey, I'm gonna eat a certain thing, I get hungry, I eat whatever's around, what do I do? I make decisions that go against what I wanna do. Mm-hmm. So I talk about in the book, just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you have to act on it. Just, you have a, just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to make it a thing. Mm-hmm. So part of the discipline and the self-control is to say, hey, I recognize these thoughts or feelings are sometimes here, but that doesn't mean I have to go and do but something But you would sit it. down with Megan and say, I'm thinking of other women or I'm, I'm attracted to other women. You know what? If it became a problem, I sure would. Oh, side note. Y'all look really good at the Oscars. Oh, day. thank you. Y'all thank just you. look like money. I'd be looking at y'all sometimes <laughs> like, <laughs> and Megan, look, you should love the hair. Thank crazy. you. Yeah, so, the gold so, is nice. So, it, it depends. If it was a problem, you know, vice versa. If we, if there was a situation where her or I were attracted to somebody else and it's a problem and a liability, yeah, of course. You know, but it was not like we make a practice of like, oh, yeah, he's attractive, she's attractive, right. whatever. But we do make a practice of truth. So like April, she's, you know, been out of her relationship with Omarion for the last, oh, what, three years now? Yeah, like three and a half years. And so she was sharing with me yesterday. She now is just more, she used to not be open with her business. Now she's just more, what do you say? I'm just more open with my truth, I guess. And so she was sharing yesterday that her and Omari, they they co-parent and communicate through an app. Y'all need to communicate with him. Would you let him intervene? I think he'd be great. Yeah, but Omari wouldn't. That's that's what I'm saying. It's not me. The truth about men. <laughs> <laughs> so how does how do how do people who had a relationship that was working and then all of a sudden becomes broken? How do they get back to having open lines of communication or at least civility enough to where they can yeah talk? Um, I have a whole chapter in the book about this, and it's called. Oh, I already knew the answer. Which chapter? Can I get the book right now? Look. <laughs> yes, I got a copy for you. Well, we'll, we'll sign not, it for well, you right now. This, not this book. This is uh, no. We got two more. Oh, we got okay. one for everybody. Oh, you, you go to this. This Tristan. book is going to Tristan <laughs> today. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, there's a there's a there's a chapter in the book called "Create a Safe Space," oh, okay. and one of the reasons why communication breaks down mm-hmm. is because the 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 safety of communication has been disrupted. So whenever I feel that I can't talk without judgment mm-hmm. or without anger or without defensiveness, I don't communicate. And right. in a relationship, when when I've ever sometimes as a man, when you express things that make you vulnerable and let's say the woman, you know, doesn't accept that and she gets mad at you. OK, the man says, hey, well, you know, I'm not I'm not going to be honest anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, because the last time I was vulnerable, you made me feel less than. And then sometimes, you know, when the woman decides she wants to say something and he kind of makes her feel less than, then we both say, well, you know, I'm going to stop talking. When we don't have truth in a relationship, it's hard for that relationship to be healthy. So one of the ways to do that is, and I have ground rules that I talk about in the book, you know, you got to get back to a safe space 
where the other person is able to communicate with you without fear of judgment. So a safe space means um, I, even though I may not necessarily agree with what you're saying, I'm going to listen and I'm not going to judge you for telling me what you really feel. That is one of the steps that will help get back communication and regain the trust. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really important, and I have a chapter in the book about this called Repair the Damage. So if you cheated on somebody or you stepped out of the relationship, mm -hmm. how do you repair? One of the things that's so important, if let's say the man cheats on the woman and he's remorseful, two things. He cannot dictate the terms by which she heals, nor can she dict he dictate the terms by which he regains her trust. She now is the one in control of when those things happen. I'm going to text this to Cardi B so she can listen to this. Um, <laughs> um, and the other thing, the other thing that's so important is as the man, if you step out on the woman, sometimes as men, as, as a way to fix a situation, the thing they want to do is go get the woman back. Mm -hmm. As the only thing. You, yes, go through the process of getting her back, regaining her trust, but also go through the work on yourself. What led you to cheat in the first place? I'm going to send this to Offset. What, what was going on underneath the surface that, because see what happens is we suppress. Whenever we suppress, we empower. And whenever, and this is when lust gets the best of all of us. See, and that's interesting because I, what I was saying to Cardi was I did, I love the fact that Offset publicly went after her to get her back and publicly mm -hmm. was vulnerable but the part that I guess maybe he maybe he hasn't heard, and I don't know what he's doing, but uh, that part of working on yourself. So what yeah. does that look like? What it, what it looks like is going and saying, okay, well, what was I suppressing that led me to give in to my lust to the degree where I stepped out of my relationship? What Because so often there is these, these thoughts, especially as men, there's pressures, there's anxieties, uh, there's frustrations about where we want to be, where we're not. We have issues from our father and all, there's so many things. But if we're not talking about it mm -hmm. and a safe space doesn't have to just be in a relationship, it could be with another, <clears throat> your brother, your sister, whatever, somebody you can talk with. Mm -hmm. So you have to go and say, what was I suppressing? What was going on in me that is not yet healed that yes, even though I may get the woman back, what's the work that I need to do? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the process so that I don't put myself in a situation where I find myself doing the same thing, even though I may not want to. If I never go back and really find out what was the wound to begin with, most of the times that person will become a repeat offender. Ladies, it's time for another Hollywood hookup. So I don't know about you. Well, I don't know about you. But there are times when I feel like eating right. You know, we think that spinach and kale oh. and all these healthy foods are supposed to give us all the essential nutrients that our body needs. Mm -hmm. But no. No, nah, it's more than that. That's not true. So with Ritual, they actually give us the nutrients that our food doesn't always give us. Okay, that's oh. essential. The thing about Rituals is that they do not add additives to their vitamins. No okay, additives. They're vegan friendly. Okay. Okay. They're sugar free. That's important. Non-GMO. Hello. Gluten free and allergy free. Free ingredients. Everything you don't need is not in there. Hello. A subscription is so easy to start. It is only a dollar a day to have all the essentials that you need delivered every single month. No strings attached. One dollar. A dollar a day. So easy, guys. Better health does not happen overnight, ladies. So help fill the gaps in your diet with Essentials for Women, a small step that supports a healthy foundation for your body and your body alone. Okay? Yeah. Visit ritual.com slash unlocked. To start your ritual today. Again, that is ritual.com slash unlock. Yeah. Get it right. So I just want to share a quick story. I remember back in 2012 when I did the whole Trayvon Martin campaign, 
I had sought you out because I wanted to, I needed to talk to somebody who had their head together. You yeah. were an executive over at Sony. Yeah. And I remember that your door was open to me. You took the time. We sat down. We talked through it all. And one thing that just kind of stands out in my mind when I think about you now, because having gone from there, uh, having a traditional job, working and doing stuff on the side to now in the business, um, everybody doesn't do that with each other. Like, I feel like the African-American community, we really don't e embrace one another. Yeah. Um, whether it's in films where, you know, Black Panther spent no money with urban media. How do you not spend no money with urban media? Or mm -hmm. even Tyler's film, um, uh, Girls Night Out, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they said Tyler walked in a room, it was all white people around the table, and he was like, where are the black people? How are you going to market this film if our people aren't at the table? So how do we become more inclusive and more supportive and embrace each other? And I know this is switching gears from relationships in between man and woman, but just as black people and mm -hmm. become more supportive of each other because that is just puzzling to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think um, part of it is to take moments like this. So when you look at the Oscars, uh, you know, the most people of color won uh, in this Oscars than ever before in the history in 91 years of Oscars. So I think it's like, OK, great. You know, this is important and this is positive And let us, you know, mirror the change that we want to make. So someone so even a platform like this. It's like, okay, you know, what are the projects that I want to get behind that I want to just model what it is I want to see more of? So it's like, okay, great. You know what? I want to support X, Y, and Z because I want to show this is what we need to do. The other thing that's so important is even though the industry's come a long way, now this is very specific to entertainment, even though the industry's come a long way, it has a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, even though your talent for a particular film, you aren't necessarily involved in the marketing and the publicity decisions a lot of times as talent you may just show up to what the studio's already set and you may not even be aware of the ins and outs someone like tyler because he's the producer he's the director he's the head of the studio he has a lot more say mm -hmm. um so part of it is also to articulate to the studios the value that that but, that these platforms possess but isn't it also courage too because i had shared on the show <clears throat> i ran into ellen pompeo at the rock nation brunch we were talking and i was saying her Porter Magazine interview had so much courage. I remember Gabrielle Union's face afterwards where it was, she was amazed that she was saying, but I could also tell she felt she couldn't say that. I feel mm -hmm. like we have to start speaking up more. Um, and what Ellen said was that when she walks in a room now, or what she tells people before she walks in a room, that room needs to look like the world that she lives in. And I just feel like when it comes to our people, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm trying to find a way to embrace the people who didn't embrace me when I was on my way up yeah, and then build relationships with people without being submissive to their intentions for my brand mm -hmm. on my way up. Mm -hmm. So, how, but how do I communicate that without, mm -hmm. or how does one communicate that? You know, they want you to either lift them up or let's lift each other up without feeling mm -hmm. that it's not going to be received. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, when you go back to just a service mentality, uh, sometimes you're going to serve, it's not going to be received. Sometimes you're going to serve and it will not be appreciated. Mm -hmm. It doesn't it doesn't take the value out of doing it mm. because when we position ourselves to serve, we get the benefit of that service, even if the person that we're serving doesn't appreciate it. Right. So that's how I would look at it. And that's how I would because so often so many of these bigger picture and things, not translated to anger, too, because it is easy to be. It, there you go. It there, is easy. There, to, there you go. I mean, I literally just did a, um, uh, a sermon in Baltimore about expectations. And how expectations is really the thing that gets us all in trouble because we have these unspoken expectations of people and situations. Mm -hmm. And when those expectations are not met, 
we then secretly judge it. We get angry. We get frustrated. Or we act out. Yeah. <laughs> Versus just saying, hey, can I expect this of you? Right. And letting that person say, you can, or you know what? No, you can't expect that from me. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we come into a thing with an expectation that's never spoken. And then we get upset when it isn't done. And I feel like that's why we end up having the resentment, the anger, the mm -hmm. jealousy, the frustration versus mm -hmm. saying. Because it's no communication. Yeah. And why did I expect this from them in the first right. place? What, what did this person do that made me think I could expect that? Right. So it's not about living with no expectations. It's just about getting clear on those expectations from which we have those from mm -hmm. uh, certain people. Okay, so I have a list of things I want to know uh, if if one does this, do they still get to go to heaven? So if you drink, <laughs> if, if somebody's drinking, is drinking, because they, and people always say, well, my mom, I used to say, you need to stop drinking because you're not going to go to heaven. This is before <laughs> I start drinking. And she would say, Jesus drank wine. Is that true? I mean, can you, can you drink and still go to heaven? Oh, well, look, here, here's, <laughs> here's okay. the reality. Here's the reality. Um, I believe, and this is gonna this is gonna sound crazy, right? But um, heaven is just think of a club for a minute, right? And and the person working the door. If you say Jesus is the DJ, we end no, the show, right? No, here. no, no. <laughs> Jesus is not the DJ. But at the end of the day, there's there's all these rules. You know, you can't dress this, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. But when you roll up, the person at the door, at the end of the day, makes the decision mm. and says, "I know what all that says, but I know who you are. I'm letting you in." Is that how you see it? That's how I see it. I so like I cannot, I never put myself in a position of telling anybody, uh, you know, where their eternal fate's going to lie because it doesn't lie with me. Damn. I, you're, 40 years, you're 40 years old and you're so much better than me. <laughs> no. I mean, I, Don't I'm say that. I'm turning 42 this year and I'm trying to, you know, I, I was, uh, who were we talking about? I said I saw one day and uh, I was just wondering like, wow, what happened to me? But anyway, <laughs> day you on your way, bro. So now, so I remember early on in your relationship with Megan, she used to get all types of criticism for how she dressed. And, I, and when she was on the show, we had talked about it because yeah. I thought she was, uh, I thought she was, she's always been beautiful. I mean, regardless of what she wears. Is that the old school mentality of church? Because I know like when, when I was in a foster home with a pastor, they used to always say women, like women were shamed for wearing pants. Yeah. And I don't know if that was just old school Kojic or what, but mm -hmm. what, what is that? Well, I mean, a lot of, um, you know, traditional religions, you know, still have a very conservative viewpoint about dress. I mean, that that's I don't, and that, that cuts across a lot of different religions. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, she certainly, you know, caught a lot of flack. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we know who we are and I love her, whatever she chooses to wear. And, you know, I think too often one of the reasons why I wrote the truth about men is that for men, we got to do our work. And so often we keep putting it, you know, our our behavior at the foot of women. So inherent in that is like, oh, don't dress a certain way. You're going to tempt the man. It's like, well, no, no, that man has to do his work so that he doesn't just fall prey to that temptation, too. So it's right. not it takes two to tango. So and I think it's also important for no one to be the judge of what someone else wants to wear and who they are. Because so often we're judging and the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. And you never know who's going to be the one to bring that person to the altar because you have Megan no has her own audience of people that follow her. So, you, you know, I just, and, I, I and find that's it not Jesus. Jesus is like, come as you are. Exactly. I'll accept you right where you are. And religion is like, no, you're not good enough. So at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, following the relationship um, and not the religion per se. Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear about something. You know, I'm not anti-religion. You know, I think religion serves a great purpose. And, you know, I, I go to religious institutions all the time to speak and teach. And, and religion does a great job in some instances of getting people to God that otherwise would not know God. So it's not about tearing down the whole religious system. 
But I think it's important, even in the confines of religion, to still focus on the relationship. But have you ever walked in a church and you felt like, okay, this church has a spirit and I don't need to be in? Because I know, I, because I have. All yeah, the time. So have you I. have. Oh, yeah, all the time. And I'm like, all right, God, then you, <laughs> if you brought me here, I'm going to stay because clearly you got something. You know, because I thought I had told the story one time and people thought I was being extra. Man, I really felt when I walked in the church, I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Was it in LA? Mm-hmm. I got, I'm not going to say the name, but yeah, I got right up out of there. Okay, because I felt that way too about one church. <laughs> well, plus, my brother was there. We were watching all these Medea plays, and this woman walked in in a black and white dress, and he started mooing, and, which was inappropriate. But <laughs> in he the had, church? He had behavioral issues. Oh, God bless Lord. him. Bless him. Okay, so. <laughs> So um, the, really quick before we get out of here, the, the Bible study that you do with Robbie Reed, it's you and Robbie, right? Me, Robbie, and uh, Dr. Holly Carter. Okay, so you still do that? Is it every first Tuesday? Um, it's usually the last, the fourth Tuesday of every month. Fourth Tuesday of every month. I haven't been doing it. Um, I didn't do it last month, this month, because I've been on the book tour. So okay. I'll, I'll get back to it, um, I think, in April. But why did you guys create that? Was that just to bring, was that just to build a community of people that wanted to learn more about the Bible or just? Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie and Dr. Holly created it over 10 years ago. And they were doing it because they really wanted to, you know, help young people in entertainment, you know, really have more of a spiritual foundation. Mm. And then they invited me to come a few years ago and, you know, things just started going well. And it was such a, just everything clicked. So I just kept doing it. Mm. So Are you going to go back? Um, say it again. Are you going to go back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go back okay. once I get off the book tour and the movie tour. And, you know, right now it's just been busy. I didn't say one profane word this entire interview. See, I'm telling you. See, Devon, you got to stop by more often because I am trying to get in. I'm, I'm getting in them gates. Come on, man. I got a lot of work to do. You'll hey, we all do. We all got work to do. Right. Don't, don't get it twisted. Okay, so the truth about men. Tristan Thompson is getting one today, and everybody else got to go get their own. But thank you for coming on the show. Thank, thank you, man. You. We enjoyed As it. always. All right, Appreciate we out of here. Peace. Peace.